Hey, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. My name is Bethany Allen. I am the pastor of women here at Bridgetown. Uh, if you don't know what you're listening to, you are listening to a midweek podcast for Bridgetown Church. And on occasion, we do this. And with me this afternoon uh, is the lovely Abby Porter. She is married to Josh Porter, pastor of Van City uh, Church right across the river uh, in Vancouver. And uh, the lovely Natalie Carell, who is on staff with us, part of our team, just an amazing woman, an amazing thinker. Um, And we're so glad uh, that you're joining us. We just wanted to take... uh, a little bit of time to talk more at length about uh, fasting. And in that, the way that it kind of intersects with the day-to-day life of those of us who are trying to live out and practice the teachings of Jesus. And we thought it'd be really important uh, to share stories, uh, practical stories from our life. For those of us who've had a complicated relationship with food, um, also to those who've had an eating disorder and have had to interact uh, on that journey, particularly with fasting. And we just thought it'd be helpful to address how to move forward um, uh, in a real kind of way, in a practical day-to-day um, situation, and uh, do that through a conversation and dialogue. Uh, so that's why uh, we're here. Um, if you've listened, hopefully you have, uh, to the podcast, uh, John Mark covered fasting for us, so we should all be experts at this point. <laughs> um, but if you're unfamiliar, you need a little bit of a recap. Um, we talked about fasting being a couple things. One, that it that it actually helps us as disciples of Jesus to break an unhealthy relationship with food. And as Americans, we know um, that's something that we probably need to do and do regularly. But, but more importantly, on the spiritual side of things, it's a, it's a way that we um, almost starve the flesh, for lack of better um, language, so that we can hunger for God or hunger for the things of God. It's a way for us to draw near and to commune with God. And it is a part of the life of the disciple. We see it all throughout the scriptures. We see it in the teachings of Jesus, that fasting is um, a practice for the apprentice. And, and when John Mark has defined it for us, at least yesterday, and we've read a couple different scholars on it, that he defines it this way um, in the most simplest of forms. He says it's not eating food, but um, a more spiritual definition, I think, would be um, Scott McKnight's def- definition where he says, um, it's a person's whole body natural response to life's sacred moments. And um, we understand uh, from this uh, practice that it's done both individually and it's done communally. And it's a way that we all press towards intimacy with the Father. Now, for those of us here this afternoon, we want to be really clear to let you know um, that we're not perfectly nuanced in this conversation. So we're just asking for a ton of grace as we um, have this conversation. Um, and we're definitely not therapists. We're not getting paid like therapists. Um, so that's, you know, something. Um, and, and we're not claiming uh, to be the end-all be-all when it comes to a helpful resource um, particularly as we talk through eating disorders or um, relationships with food. We're just here, uh, we think, to faithfully just have an open dialogue about how um, all of this kind of moves ahead as we're people in the kingdom and yet people who live in the real world. So in this time, um, we're wanting to address kind of three sects of people or three kind of people who you may fall in one of these categories or you may be on a spectrum somewhere in between. Um, But one, just talk about uh, the reality of the unhealthy relationship we have with food, whether that be through deprivation or overindulgence, as a lot of us as Americans have. Um, We wanted to talk about legalism and how that intersects with this practice, how oftentimes we're compelled 
to do fasting from a spirit that kind of says, look at me, look what I'm doing, <laughs> um, and doing it really for the approval of man as opposed uh, to the approval of God. And then um, where fasting kind of intersects uh, with eating disorders or people who struggled with eating disorders. And we know this isn't just a, a female issue. We know that it's a male issue, and those numbers are continuing to rise. And, um, yeah, and so uh, we're going to kind of hopefully cover uh, those three categories as we move ahead. Um, I was reading uh, just yesterday an article um, by this brilliant woman, and sadly I can't remember her name, <laughs> so, you know, that's something. Um, uh, but she was giving us this great word picture of, of fasting, and she said, you know, oftentimes under specifically these three categories, this unhealthy relationship with food, legalism, and eating disorders, um, there's this idea of that, all of the dynamics there being horizontal, that, um, that when we think about fasting through the lens of what people will think about us or how our genes will be impacted after a fast or, um, or how, it's, how it's intersecting with uh, the control or the amount of food we're eating or how or when we're eating or whatever, those are all horizontal. Those are all intersecting with you and with other people, and, and they're centered around that dynamic. But when we fast, she says, um, it should be more of a vertical response in that that we're kind of pulling ourselves up or being pulled up by our affection or our uh, gaze being shifted to Jesus and looking upward and fasting. We're looking to commune with God, not with other people, not with the trauma we've experienced from other people, but that we're, we're to be looking upward towards him. And um, I just kind of love, I love that word picture. I think it's really helpful for those of us um, who are trying to wrap our head around some of these things. I love that. And I think just from the different points that you were talking about earlier, Bethany, those three different pieces, those different perspectives that each of us are in. And from me personally, I come at this conversation from the first point you made, the unhealthy relationship with food and, and how we view that. And I think um, if I do, I would be completely honest um, when we were talking yesterday in church about fasting and starting this uh, type of practice, for me, it's so easy for me to make it actually about the food instead of my relationship with Christ. So that really resonates with me about, you know, what is this really about? And I tend to uh, default and manipulate this type of conversation to make it about about me and food when actually this practice is about how am I getting myself and my my being and my mind and my pathways uh, in my head about me and Christ and thinking correctly and laying it all about all out before him and I think I don't know if it's um, true for many of our listeners but I think for me uh, it's it's difficult to just be all in with the Lord in this because it, it's awkward. I haven't tried it before or it's just clunky and I, I don't know the verbiage. So I think sometimes it's hard to feel like, where do I even start with this? If I already know all my defaults are like in wrong thinking patterns, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense and helpful in this dialogue because that's really what we're getting at is yeah. we want to enter into this practice. We want to be wholehearted in it, but we have to just admit in all honesty that there are complications um, that are just intersecting our day-to-day -day lives when it comes um, to the sexual practice. And I think, you know, I was talking to someone last week about it and, and, and just like you, Natalie, anytime I've like 
begun to do the practice, it's been hard not to think about. And maybe it's, I don't know, I, I don't think it's just a female thing, but for me as a woman, it's been easy to think about the physical benefits over the spiritual benefits and to not enter into that, you know, and it's subtle. That's the, the, the scary thing about it is it's subtle in that um, it's like, oh, if I grind up these almonds into my drink, am I not actually eating them? Am I not? We start to make these little compromises and these little manipulations in our conversation when it's no longer even remotely about communing with God. It's about um, the, the actual discipline, and it's just lost its value as a whole at that point. But those are things I didn't fully understand early on, and I'm continuing to learn the older I get. A lot of times it can deter us from actually pressing into the practice. And, um, and the challenge here is for us to move beyond that and to continue to make the most important thing the important thing. Um, you know, I, when thinking about this conversation, too, it's, um, it's hard not to think about um, the tension we live in, particularly as people who are following Jesus' teachings and following um, uh, his instruction. And in that, there's just like a rhythm to right, our relationship with him even. And how in, in um, the faith that we're in, um, we're moving towards holiness. And a lot of times we think about complicated relationships with food, and we think about legalism, or we think about even eating disorders. We know that there's a drive in that, um, not towards holiness, but towards perfection. Um, and sometimes I think, when, especially as we're talking about the manipulation or even the weird variances we give in this conversation, um, we, we kind of move um, on the spectrum from um, justifying certain things um, or not justifying certain things in the name of holiness or in the name, and, and when really it's an act of perfectionism and all of that. So as I was thinking through that yesterday, I was thinking through, John Mark had this great definition um, for slavery, because when I think about perfectionism, and Abby, you could speak to this, particularly in the line of, of an eating disorder or even in a complicated relationship with food, which I know I could speak to, I would say it's dangerous in that it's bondage. Like at the end of the day, it's a complicated, hard relationship. The, the desire to be perfect or to look perfect or to present myself as perfect is not actual freedom. And in fasting, as we move towards holiness, the goal isn't that we'd be in more bondage, which is where we've been led in times past, but that we would actually... Um, be um, free. And so I love that. Natalie, I think you have it, just yeah. that amazing definition we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and especially in um, just in this cultural moment that we're living in, I think it's easy to think that freedom is actually choosing uh, to have the ability to do whatever we want. But that's actually what John Mark calls um, slavery. So that's kind of touching on what you were saying earlier. But the practices, especially in the light of um, the discipline of fasting, freedom is actually the ability to live in the Spirit and want what the Spirit wants. So yeah. when we're really making it about the practice, we're actually making it um, come alive in us that the Spirit of God that lives and is active within our bodies. He, it's being in alignment with that. And that's what I love about this practice and that we're even talking about this because, you know, I'll be the first one to say I don't, I don't have the nuance to talk about this. I'm just beginning this conversation and learning the terms and learning what Christ really wants for me personally in this. And, and really, ultimately, the reason why we're having this conversation is so that it can start with the church. It can start with us, and we can finally be a place of hope and um, a place where we can 
create a safe space to talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and again, we're trying to figure it out. The nuance isn't perfect, um, but we're hopefully moving in that direction. Um, this is where I thought it'd be awesome, Abby, if we could just hear from you a little bit, particularly um, knowing your journey, knowing um, your history. And um, I don't think a lot of people may, I don't know, I don't know how many people know, I get to be your friend. So I know all the amazing things that God has done. But um, and Abby, I'll let you tell more of your story. But um, but just knowing that you're here, just to share even what your interaction, your journey has been like um, with an eating disorder and living now in the place of victory over it. And you're such an important part of this conversation. Um, so I would love it if you wouldn't mind just telling us a bit of your history, um, kind of what what that journey has been like a little bit for um, for you. Yeah, um, of course. So like most of us, I grew up in a household with um, bad relationships to food, always talk of dieting and just poor self-image. But it wasn't until I started ballet um, as a preteen and into my teens that my mind became completely obsessed with body image, insecurities, limiting food intake, um, and on and on. Um, at ballet, we would talk about diet pills, how to keep yourself from feeling hungry, encourage each other to keep starving yourself. It was really disturbing and dark um, looking back at it. Um, and it just spiraled from there. So I was active on pro-anorexia forums, ate about 300 calories a day for a couple years obsessively worked out um, while doing that and um, was 90 pounds and absolutely convinced that there was I was just living a normal life that like nothing was unhealthy about this that uh, everyone thought I was normal and this was just how you kind of do life um, the thing about that is I wasn't depressed I wasn't unhappy I had great friends I had um, even met and married my husband during this time and what's interesting looking back and I've talked about with everyone is, I don't know, like how did I sustain this for so long without other people even like asking me like, why are you only eating 300 calories? Because I would brag about it. Like, I don't know if I was trying to hide something, you know, it was just weird. Um, but I think it's so hard for people. It's such a sticky subject and situation. It's like awkward. People don't want to ask you like, do you have a problem? Or it's like kind of passive or... Um, anyway, so I, it wasn't until about a year into our marriage and Josh had kind of like, I mean, he had heard me talk about a lot and had been saying like, maybe we should like get some help. This doesn't really seem like it's, um, normal or right. And I had just kind of hit a wall and realized I couldn't carry this burden. I mean, emotionally, mentally, physically, it was, uh, just completely, taking over my life and I was in my bedroom that day and I just had this incredible encounter with Jesus and he opened my eyes to the truth and all of the unworthiness and insecurities and the body image stuff I'd been fighting off by way of controlling my food intake um, and I felt like in a moment he healed me emotionally and took the burden of this disorder from me I just like saw this image of him like taking it out of my hands like this boulder off my back and he whispered this promise that I will never forget and told me that um, it was never something that I would have to carry again, um, which is so backwards from the eating disorder community. They, I mean, unless it's changed recently, but they say, like, you'll never, you're never going to be fully healed. This is like something you struggle with your whole life. 
you will always like go back into those ways. That's just kind of the um, air that you breathe, even in like the professional help in that community. Um, so to be really almost 10 years now past that, I really can say that it hasn't been a temptation to the degree that like I fall into the really strong thought patterns or habits that I had all of those years before and that I fully feel like I have been healed like it was a disease. I mean, it is a disease and I was like healed from it. Now there is repercussions like and thought patterns that I, uh, you know, have to be on top of and I have accountability and um, things like that, but it's not, uh, it's not even a temptation. I can honestly truly say that. Um, now almost 10 years past. Wow, that is amazing and makes me cry right in the studio. <laughs> so um, just amazing that you, that you would share that and also just amazing um, to hear what God has done and to see and know it's just like a real victory in your life. But knowing too that it hasn't been perfect and knowing that through Jesus healing you, it's been amazing, but you're still, just like you're saying, living with the repercussions yeah, Abby, I think like a question that kind of comes to me as you're talking and and first of all, thank you so much for just taking the time to share with us your story. And um, I think that takes so much courage, yeah. even on the back end with um, so much resolve. I think that's such a gift to be able to give out. So but a question comes to mind is I'm thinking about you um, maybe even 10 years ago when you didn't have this resolve and. Um, if you were sitting in church and you're sitting under a pastor's authority and, and asking, you know, would you be willing to do a fasting um, and what would that practice look like? What are some of the thoughts that would kind of hit you and what kind of mental space would you be in um, at that spot? Um, I would say if I heard a teaching like this when I was in the thick of it, um, it would be incredibly triggering and a temptation uh, to go further down the hole of unhealthy thought patterns and habits. Um, so I, for me, either in it or really close post what I felt like was a healing in my life, I would not, um, probably would not have participated in a fast um, just because it would have been mo much more of a discipline for me to eat that day than to not eat. It would have been um, basically what I wanted. So I would say if you are in a place where you're currently, this is like a big struggle in your life and you're just walking through this eating disorder every day or you're really closely past it or still in um, getting help, I would say that it's, um, not smart, in my opinion, to participate in a fast because it is, um, it's like giving yourself permission to go back to those um, bad patterns and um, habits, and it's not going to be helpful in your discipleship to Jesus. Um, rather, it, it could be more destructive in your healing of your eating disorder. It's great and super helpful and super practical. So if um, if someone um, is currently in that spot, like right now, they're they're thinking about this fasting. They heard it yesterday. They're you know it's been 
it's kind of in the front forefront of their mind. And even honestly, even for those who had a question come up yesterday, for those who know they're in the thick of an eating disorder, they have a um, in a nice way to you know to put it is a complicated relationship with food or um, or thinking, man, I don't know if I have the control or the ability or the discipline to be able to do this in a way that's focused on Jesus, not focused on. Um, you know, on, on the control aspects of what I'm eating, how I'm eating, when I'm eating, all of that. What would you um, say? What would you say to someone who knows even at some level they're predisposed, whether this has been in their past, um, whether it's been in their family of origin, it's something they've, you know, kind of walked the line. What would you say to them? I mean, directly, I know you said, um, man, I know you said you wouldn't say, you wouldn't do this, you wouldn't recommend it being the most healthy approach. There are um, means and hopefully we'll talk about that in just a minute of just kind of what can we do going forward but what would you say to them um, directly what would be your counsel to them especially as someone who's been there you know and I know it's not as pragmatic as just as just sitting here we're asking you a few questions this was your life mm-hmm. you know this was this is part of who you are and part of your even your testimony about what God has done in your life so what would you say I would say if that was you and you are um predisposed or in the thick of it or um that this is like a temptation at all uh to seek help like from a counselor or talk to your pastor um that's like step number one and honestly there's probably um a good portion of people that are listening that don't think that what they are doing is an eating disorder and I feel like I can say that because I had done all these things and I would not have considered, I would not have considered myself anorexic or to have an eating disorder, even though I was obsessed with eating disorders and learning about it and talking about it. Um, So if that's you, um, I would say just accept that, like uh, to, to call it that, call it what it is and to get help for it. It doesn't have to be, um, this, you know, go to rehab thing, I think that you need wisdom and that's why you should talk to someone else. But, um, honestly, I, I didn't, I would have gone to get help from professionals, but, um, my first step was honestly handing over my control. And for me, it was control. That's, I'm a perfectionist control freak. Um, that's just who I am. And so for me, it was handing over this huge burden that I had And it was hard a little bit, but mostly it felt like a big weight off my back. So I would say use this time during the practice, if this is you, to really, really commune with Jesus, to ask him who he thinks you are and what he thinks about you and has your relationship with food been detrimental and what um, if he can take it from you and he will and I would just, I just want to exhort and encourage that there is complete healing, that there's um, victory over eating disorders. I think that, um, like I said before, that's not often talked about, that it's like something you'll face your whole life. And, um, and I think that you do have to be um, aware of uh, thought patterns in the future. Like I know I don't um, personally have a scale in the house because that's too much of a 
temptation to fall back into just the line of habits that were started from the first place. Um, so there are things that you have to be aware of, but that there is complete healing. And I think that um, as the years go on, uh, Jesus gives you even more reasons. Like I know for me, my kids was like a huge thing. Like I don't ever want my daughter to struggle with anything like that. So it's so important to me to not make comments about myself or comments about anyone else, especially in front of my kids, because I don't want this to be something that they obsess and think about from a young age like I know I did. Yeah, I mean, man. <clears throat> that's great counsel for all of us. And Abby like, could not be more thankful for your story and your voice in this. Um, you know, I think we all have had our own journey um, with food and some easier than others. But um, I, just as Natalie said, courageous and um, bold. And you live this out. You live the discipline of, of moving towards health, of working with your therapist, of working with friends and family and doing it in the community in the way that Jesus has asked you to do it. And it's been nothing but amazing just to watch. And I feel really proud of you as your friend and respect you a ton for um, what you're doing day in and day out that people can't see or even perceive. And um, and yeah, and I think that's what we'd want to say is like, this is a real part of the conversation. And for those who are sitting, you know, we're sitting out there and going like, this is complicated. It's not one dimensional for me. It's not something I could just pick up tomorrow. Hopefully this gives a little bit of resourcing and a little bit of context um, to that part of the conversation. Um, we want to move kind of just practically into just some how-tos. How do we interact with this practice of fasting and how do we do it in a healthy way wherever you're at, whether um, you struggle with an eating disorder or maybe legalism has been a thing of your past or or maybe you do. You have a complicated or unhealthy relationship with food. Um, what are some things that we would offer uh, up to you? And again, not therapists, not doctors, um, just really beautiful women sitting in a room uh, with a microphone. Uh, so <laughs> can I say that? <laughs> yes. I guess I can because I'm just in this <laughs> this box. Um, yeah, so, uh, so what are some things uh, we would say? What are some best practices we've come up with? Yeah, so I think the, the place that for me personally and I, I think um, a lot of us deal with this is just how do we even talk about this? Um, just like you said, Abby, um, call it what it is. And I think for me, um, it's figuring out the terms, you know, in my place where uh, how I'm viewing food and, and do I view that as a comfort and am I looking to that to solve my problems or fill that void? Um, and I think for me, uh, my journey has included shame and and really to unpack that. I mean, that's just that is a whole like, <laughs> yeah, it's series it's, in and of itself. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think um, what's really important for me has been to delineate what is guilt and what is shame. And and maybe that to you doesn't really seem important, but I really think that it's important to define the two. And I think um Christine Kane, one of my favorite authors, defines it like this. She says, guilt and shame are, seem very similar in meaning, but there is very significant difference. Guilt is about my do, and shame is about my who. Um, and she, she says that, you know, there's, there can be a similar uh, definition between conviction and shame as well. 
So to define shame is shame is never a good thing. Conviction is allowing the Holy Spirit to reign and rule in your life, and it always is going to point you to good, and it will typically be a voice uh, that calls you to repentance, it calls you into community, and it calls you to give up everything that you have in order to look and be more like Jesus. Um, and so honestly, I think shame in my own life uh, puts me into a very dark hole. It, uh, it makes me hide from God and, and honestly from my, my spouse or my community uh, rather than turning to God and, and dealing really with my guilt. I mean, guilt is my actions, you know, when I've um, made that choice to like eat a whole bag of chips when I'm not, when I know in my spirit, I'm like, this is probably not great for me. And um, man. It, it's a thing. It's a thing. Right? Yeah. It's a thing. And I think we're still like shame. It's weird, but it, it really makes me more afraid of what God thinks of me, which is so bizarre because then it starts to manifest in my head that God is against me. And that's that again, um, this is why we do practices because it, it really shows us, you know, what are we looking at in the mirror and, and how can we give up even more of who we are and notice notice the weird, 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 weird patterns that are happening in my head. <laughs> yeah, and replacing those with ones that actually produce life in That's us. That's right. And, and new ways of thinking and new ways of even engaging things like food. You know, it goes back to this this conversation of, of breaking unhealthy relationships with food, this thing that John Mark was talking about yesterday. And quickly I could dismiss myself from that when he said it and just go like, I don't have a weird relationship with food. Cue the scene of me eating a bag of Doritos. You know what I mean? <laughs> Alone on a Saturday night. But but it is it goes back to this discipline of replacing old ways of engaging for not just for the act of doing it, but for uh, the forming in us of becoming more like Jesus, of thinking the way he would think and engaging the way he would engage. So, yes, I mean, I love that. And I think the beginning point is distinguishing between guilt and shame and what what voice is ruling us in those moments as we're um, entering into this practice. And I think, you know, the next thing uh, we would say, too, is 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 to embrace God's grace in this journey. Um, you know, we, we talk about it and we can allude to it. It can sound really spiritual because grace is a you know, spiritual term. But, but we would encourage you, just like we do with any of these other practices, not to be legalistic about it, but to, to focus on the relationship. It's almost like I was sitting on the couch with my husband or something. Let's just say I had one and he showed up to the party. And um, it would be like sitting there and talking with him like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry there's no food left for you because I've eaten all of it. It would really be about, and that sounds silly, but like an honest conversation about my relationship with that and how it's not only impacting me. But it's impacting him. It's impacting what he's eating or partaking or participating in. And that's what we're calling our, ourselves to in this. There's a grace where Jesus says, like, I get it. He's a sympathetic high priest. He it was fully human. He knows what it means to be hungry and to desire comfort through things like food and other other things. And he's sympathetic in it. So embrace God's grace on the journey. Know that even if we were sitting on a couch having a conversation with Jesus about our food habits, that it would take time, not for him, but for us, that he would embrace us right where we were at, even as we were addressing the practice of fasting and saying like, hey, it's it's overwhelming. I'm still trying to piece it together. And he comes as a helper, not as one who's bringing 
shame, guilt, or condemnation. He's doing the opposite. So if you're experiencing that on the journey, we would say, hey, there's an exhortation to actually put into practice embracing um, God's grace for you. And that's done uh, a lot of time, honestly, has to be done, particularly in practices like this, um, through uh, an open dialogue with God, but also uh, with other people. Yeah, I would say it's super important um, as you go into this practice to... um, really be open with your community if you feel like this is going to be a struggle. Um, and even with God, say like, I don't know if I can do this without it being detrimental to other habits in my life and for it to just be a really open conversation. Um, and remember that it's not going to be like this forever. You will come to a place of healing and where you can um, step into fasting again. I know for myself, um, almost 10 years um, post uh, having an eating disorder, I feel like I can completely fast and for it to not be a big temptation to go back into that or for it to be um, a block and more about myself or control um, and that it's actually um, a super amazing time where I can remember what it was like and it like provides an even deeper communion with God in um, remembering what he's delivered me from and what we have victory over. And it can really just be a beautiful thing. So if it's you right now and you're kind of not in it um, and you're not able to do the practice and you're kind of bummed because you just heard this amazing teaching on it and it's how awesome it's going to be, um, it's not going to be forever. And that I think that you will definitely um, be able to enter into that one day. Yeah. And what a word. I mean, what a word. That's amazing. I mean, it's just amazing to hear because it's not forever. It's not a a prison sentence and it's not a place where shame should happen, even within the context of community. If you're in a place where you can't do it, your community is the place where hopefully they're rallying around you and saying like, okay, then we're in it with you until you get to a place of freedom. We're believing for you where you can't believe for yourself that it will be over that there will be a day of freedom, the day that the Lord restores all things. And hopefully that'll be this side, yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> of the kingdom coming. Um, but even if it's not, we will rally on the other, <laughs> on the other side, for lack of a better word. Don't kill me on my bad theology. Don't send me an email. I know. Um, so, so I just think it's a beautiful picture because that's what we're saying. We've got to do this in an open, honest conversation, both with God and with the people around you, if you're going to be successful. And that goes for all of us. That goes for me and for Natalie. That goes. That means tomorrow night when we have this conversation as a community, I need to talk openly about what it's been like for me in the past. It means that if, if like Abby, you know, she's um, had an eating disorder in the past, this might be something she discloses for the benefit of the group or maybe isn't something, but talks about with one or two other friends in her community and for Natalie, whatever that looks like for you and community. But it means that we're mindful of that, open and honest about it, um, so that it doesn't serve as a hindrance. This is the way that the enemy wants to steal from us, is to like come in right now and tell us all the ways we either can't do it or to manipulate us into doing, not, and he doesn't, you know, we make choices, but but deceiving us into believing like we have to do it this way or that way and starts to turn it into something that it's not when fasting is honestly about communing with God. So here's what we'd say. We'd say, listen, distinguish between guilt and shame in your life. And a lot of ways that you need to do that sometimes is through community with other people. We would say embrace God's grace for you. 
Um, and that this is a journey. This isn't, you're not like at the destination, take it one step at a time. We're all in it. We're all fumbling through it, even the best of them. And it's really about your relationship with Jesus and, and having an open dialogue and doing it in community um, together with, with other people. And um, we said it yesterday, and we want to um, make sure we repeat it again. John Mark said it yesterday, and just so well said, so grateful for a pastor um, to lead us through this and to do such an incredi- incredible job. Um, but um, whatever it is, we want to encourage you. All th- I think all three of us sitting here would say, whatever it is, take the next step. The one thing the enemy doesn't want you to do is to move forward in this practice. And we would just say, take the next step. So whether it's like what Abby said, by um, calling up a pastor, sending an email, um, connecting with a counselor or a spiritual director about this issue, do it. Like if in this practice there's nothing else you can do, you're like, I can't engage this yet, just the complications in my relationship, all of that stuff. If it's something you can't do, we just encourage you to do something. And, and honestly, your, your ambition here is really just to talk through what's holding you back from moving forward. And um, remember, there's tons of grace in that. And um, man, we're excited. I think we're excited just to see what God does and to hear the stories of what God's going to do in our community uh, through this. Thanks for listening uh, to our podcast. Remember, there's tons more uh, content on our website, practicingtheway.org. So make sure you check that out.